Uh, Nicole and I have just recently entered a new phase of parenting. Uh, I can remember when we were in the phase that Eric and Cherish are currently in. I can remember those uh, the child dedication Sundays for, for Haven and for Lincoln. I can remember those days where you, you can't hardly leave them by themselves for just more than a minute, right? Um, but we've entered a new phase where we can actually leave the house for a minute or two, and they're okay by themselves. Um, now, they're, this is new to them, so they're still needing reassurance, like, we'll be back in 30 minutes, you know? Or, I'm leaving now, your mom's going to be here in just a little bit. And that new uh, phase, that new uh, season that we're in right now, they want to have that reassurance because it's new. Uh, because we're leaving, and they want to like, all right, who's coming back? You, you are coming back, right? Right? That's exactly what's happening in John 14. Because Jesus is informing the disciples of his impending death and then departure. And notice that isn't the same. They're two separate things that are going to happen, two separate events, his death and then his departure. But he's letting them know that he is about to leave. And this is the Last Supper that he's having with them. And he has this conversation to prepare them for this moment. And he's wanting them to know that though he is departing, that he is sending the Holy Spirit to be with them. He's sending the Holy Spirit to help them. And so that's where we're going to start this morning as we start this series of messages, studying the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at John chapter 14. We'll start reading in verse 16. Jesus is saying here, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And he who has kept my, who, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Skip down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. The phrase, God so help me, is one that we hear pretty often. And maybe you've said it. Usually we say it in reference to communicating that we can hardly keep our composure or we're about to snap right? We say it something along the lines of, God so help me, if someone else shoots off a firecracker after 10 p.m., I'm going to lose it, right? God so help me, if the kids don't listen, they don't mind. Now, if you rearrange those words, it kind of has the same meaning, but a little bit different, right? Instead of God so help me, so help me God. So help me God is a phrase that is tacked on to the end of when a president is sworn in 
or when someone is taking the stand, when we're about to enter into this new uh, opportunity or undertaking. Both of these, when you're about to snap and when you're undertaking some new role or you're about to swear or give an oath, both of these are opportunities where we, we need God's help. And we're especially aware of that. But the truth is that we need God's help every day. Even when we're not facing adversity, even when we're not entering into a new season or a new phase. Jesus is preparing the disciples about this new phase that they're going to enter into. And they're afraid because Jesus is telling them that he's not going to be there. And they've been expecting him to be there as this new kingdom is built. This is a curveball to them. They don't understand. They're caught off guard. And so they're desperate for some help. It may be that you're here this morning and you're not at a God so help me moment and you're not about to enter some new phase and you're in a so help me God moment and life is just kind of normal. Like you woke up this morning and it was just another Sunday. It feels average. Oh, it's a new month. It's October again. And you might not recognize that in this moment you were desperately in need of the Holy Spirit's help. You're desperately in need of of God's help. And I want you to walk away today so very clear on the fact that you are desperate for God's help and that our church is desperate for the work of the Holy Spirit. My kids are different. So when we say we're leaving, one of my children is more concerned than the other about when are you coming back. I'll let you guess which one is not concerned at all about when or if we are coming back. No matter where you're at, maybe you're a person, you're here today, and you're here today because you're desperately searching for God's presence in your life. You know that you need Him. Or maybe you're here today and you're not that aware of God's presence or your need for God's presence. I hope that you will get a strong grasp of how desperate we are for God's help today. I am fully convinced that we need to spend time and focus on the Holy Spirit. Because while it might not feel like it to you, we are in a major shift in our world right now. Right now, we have just experienced the greatest shift in religious participation in our country since the Civil War. And before that, the Great Awakening. The church was seeing a dramatic decrease in involvement, participation, and attendance before COVID. And COVID accelerated, and we've had the greatest de-churching in America that we've ever experienced since the Civil War. Right now, we live in a time where there's simultaneously great ideological emphasis and theological malaise. What I mean by that is right now, when people choose a church, they're not so much concerned on the doctrine that church believes or the theology that church holds, but rather the ideology that is present in that church. Our church sign out front says, Faith Free Will Baptist Church. And for many of you, perhaps that is super confusing. But it comes from a period in time when people chose a church based on the theology and denomination of that church. And that is not 
on the radar for most people today. Now they're wondering, is it a Republican church or a Democrat church? Is it a church where I can wear this or I can do that? And Matt Chandler has pointed out that what is dangerous about this period in time is that because we're choosing and we're building churches based on ideology instead of theology, the bonds that hold us together are incredibly fragile. Because ideology changes all the time. It's trendy. Theology is forever. The ideology is every election cycle. Imagine if the people who built your house, if when it came time to build your house because of supply shortages, there were no screws or nails available, so they got glue sticks from the craft store and they bound all of the materials together with Elmer's glue instead of nails and screws. If that house stands at all, it's not going to stand for long. And if we are bound together because we have the same opinions on current hot-button topics, that will not hold together for long if it holds together at all. We also are desperate for the Spirit in this age because we live in an, inf an age of information overload which has led to a lack of focus. If I send you a thousand emails, you're probably not going to read any of them. If I give you a thousand facts, you might remember ten of them, but the ten that you do remember probably won't be the most important ten because there's so much information. We've lost track of what really matters, what's most important. So we're distracted by all of this information, all of this data, all of this entertainment, and it distracts us from what is most important, what we need to focus on. And because we're distracted from what's most important, we're ignorant on what's most important. A couple of years ago, George Barna did a study, and 60% of regular church attenders... Regular church attenders, 60% of them did not believe in the Holy Spirit as a person or God. So even people who attend church regularly, the Holy Spirit is not on their radar. And I would imagine that if we sat down for lunch after church today and I asked you about God, you would have much to say. You could tell me a lot about Him, perhaps. If I asked you about Jesus... Perhaps you would know a lot about him, but if I were to ask you about the Holy Spirit, that would be a lot more fuzzy and vague. And so even in the church, there's a, a lack of awareness, an ignorance when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So we live in an age when it's hard to do ministry. We live in an age where we're distracted. But even if we lived in the very best moment to do ministry, we couldn't do ministry without the Holy Spirit. Not actual ministry, anyway. The apostles needed the Holy Spirit. The, the men and women who would lead the church immediately after Jesus' ascension, they needed the Holy Spirit. If they needed the Holy Spirit in that cultural moment, we definitely, definitely need Him today. Now, let me be clear when I say that the Holy Spirit is needed to do ministry what I mean is that the Holy Spirit is needed to bring about actual transformation. The Holy Spirit is optional on building a church, or building a crowd, or building an organization. 
In fact, there have been times in history where if you just do things well, you'll gather a crowd. If, if you're slick, or your marketing's good, people will come because it's the best game in town. It's the best show in the area. But that doesn't bring about transformation. We need the Spirit to bring about actual change. And the reason that we must have the Spirit to bring about actual change is that the truth that we share is spiritually discerned. Jesus says in verses 25 and 26, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Jesus said, I've told you these things. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll teach you these things. Jesus says, I've mentioned them to you. And we know that when Jesus was with the disciples, the time was not yet quite right. And so he often spoke to them in parables, stories that they could, they could remember, and then they would be able to apply later. It was this truth that they could hold on to and then eventually live out after the cross. So there's all of this information that Jesus has given to them, but it isn't until the Holy Spirit enables them to understand it and apply it that it makes a difference in their lives. Listen, I, I can preach to you this morning and I can tell you things, and I can say words, but unless the Holy Spirit teaches your heart these truths, the difference won't last. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Dustin did a great job preaching from Revelation chapter 12, and he concluded our series on the four main pillars of the gospel story, that there's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And I had conversations with many of you after church about what an encouraging sermon it was, how impactful it was. And then Friday, I got together with my community group and we were discussing the sermon. And I asked the question, what part of Dustin's sermon was the most encouraging to you? And that question was met with the response, um, yeah, it was good. <laughs> I remember it was good, right? But we couldn't remember any specific point from the sermon. Now, I'm not disparaging the group because I can't remember what I preached last week on a Friday after a work week. Because that information has now passed. The transformation that happens is not you hearing information from myself or Pastor Eric or Pastor Dustin. The, the transformation that happens is when the Holy Spirit teaches your heart the truth and the meaning of this word. Chris Hodges, who's uh, originally from Louisiana, he likes to tell jokes about this guy named Boudreaux, who is this uh, kind of fool from, you know, the bayou. And for those of you who've attended church here for any amount of time, you've heard me tell this joke because I love it so much. Boudreaux uh, puts a roof on a house for a lady, and she pays him with a check. And so he takes that check to the bank to get it cashed, and the banker says, Boudreaux, we just need you to endorse the check. And he says, what do you mean endorse? 
He says, you need to sign the back of the check. You go, I don't want to do that. Boudreaux could barely read or write. He didn't want to write his name. They said, well, you have to endorse the check if we're going to cash it. He said, I'll find another bank. So he leaves that bank. He goes to the bank down the street. He walks into the second bank. He says, I need to cash this check. They said, you need to endorse it. He says, I don't want to endorse it. And the banker slaps him upside the head and says, just sign the check and we'll give you your money. So Boudreaux signs the check. They give him his money. He walks out of the bank. He's walking down the street. He sees the first banker. He says, I got my money. And the first banker says, yeah, but I bet you had to endorse that check. He goes, yeah, but you didn't explain it like that other guy did. <laughs> you know the reason we need the Holy Spirit? Because we're a lot like Boudreaux. Somebody needs to absolutely slap up upside the head and get our attention. And as preachers... It can become tempting to just preach good sermons that are easy to listen to, that are memorable or compelling, but we need more than a good talk. We need a miracle. What needs to happen this morning and every Sunday morning when we gather together to hear God's Word and when you sit down to read God's Word, a miracle needs to happen. The Bible calls it raising the spiritual dead. Healing spiritual blindness. The Bible calls it changing hearts of stones into hearts of flesh. And when we read the New Testament, we see that this has to be a miracle because these truths are only spiritually discerned. They cannot be understood by the natural man. 1 Corinthians 1.18 The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them. Because they are spiritually discerned. And Piper points out that the word spiritual here does not mean more religious. It doesn't mean that you can understand the truths of Scripture if you're more religious or you're more spiritually minded. Instead, it means originating in the Spirit. It means from the Spirit. These truths are spiritually discerned because it's only through the power of the Spirit that we can understand and know these truths. Our problem is not that the world isn't spiritual enough or religious enough. Our problem is that we must have the Holy Spirit revealing to us what is broken in us and how we can be redeemed. Piper will go on to say this. The opposite of a natural or secular person is not a religious or spiritual or mystical person. Rather, the opposite of a natural or secular person is a person who is experiencing the miracle of spiritual discernment. They're experiencing the miracle of the Holy Spirit making clear these truths. It's a miracle when someone experiences transformation. 
It's a miracle when someone comes under the sound of the gospel and they are convicted of their sin. It's a miracle when someone comes to realize that what Jesus Christ did on the cross is not just the story about how one guy was treated badly, but rather it's the story of how he took the sacrifice for my sins. It's a miracle when these truths become more than information and they become transformation. It's a miracle. And it's a miracle that the Holy Spirit produces. I'm not a miracle worker. Pastor Dustin, Pastor Eric, we're not miracle workers. Your group leader, your Bible study teacher is not a miracle worker. Only the Holy Spirit can accomplish this. And listen, we not only need this for us to move from not knowing Christ to knowing Christ. We not only need this to, to move from lost to in Christ, we need this once we're in Christ to help us understand the next step in our growth, the next leg in our sanctification. Jesus says, I've told you these things, but the Spirit will teach them to you and will remind you of these words. As a believer, Christian, you need the miracle of the Holy Spirit to help you see what it is that God is calling you to do next. You need the miracle of the Holy Spirit to help you see the next rough place in your heart that God wants to transform. You need the Holy Spirit showing you what it is that He's calling you to do. And you can hear this in Paul's approach to the people in Corinth. The people in Corinth had become divided into factions. Some of them liked Paul better. Some of them liked Apollos better. Some of them liked Peter better. And Paul says, this is crazy. Because yes, Apollos taught, and I taught, and Peter teaches, but it's the Holy Spirit that transforms you. He says, yes, I planted, and Apollos watered, but the Spirit gave the increase. We're super blessed here at Faith Church to have multiple people that I feel confident could stand before you and preach God's Word. And it would be insane if we got into this place where people say, man, I mean, Pastor Daniel's okay, but I really prefer Pastor Eric. Or, man, I really prefer Pastor Dustin. It, it, you know, when Pastor, when Pastor Dustin preaches, that's when I really feel like I'm fed the Word. None of us can do it. It's only the Spirit that can bring about this transformation. It's only the Spirit that can produce this. Only the Spirit. You can also see this when Paul, he rebukes the Galatians. He writes a letter to the Galatian people because they had come to know Jesus and they had accepted His forgiveness for their sins, but then they had been convinced that to make it to the next level in Christianity, to move from like junior varsity Christian to varsity Christian, that they needed to add these other elements. Like, yeah, Jesus can help you get saved, but if you really want to go next level... You need, to, you need to follow these rituals and you need to celebrate these specific holidays. And Paul's letter to them is incredibly scolding because this is what he says. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you such fools? Having begun in the Spirit, you're now made perfect in the flesh? 
Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul is saying, do you really think that it's the Spirit who saves you and then it's on you to perfect you? No, it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit who helps you understand the message so that you can be saved. And it's also the Spirit that brings about this work in you. With all that we've done here at Faith Church this year to hopefully equip you to have spiritual conversations. Taught you how to, how to share your testimony. We, we've taught you how to talk through the four main pillars of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. With all of that, with all of that, that information, all of that equipping, none of it is helpful if it is not the Spirit that is communicating with us. It must be the Spirit. With all that we've done over the last five years to emphasize discipleship and having holy patterns and walking with Jesus daily, all of that is meaningless if it is not empowered by the Spirit. So Jesus says in verse 19, A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. And he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You know what Jesus is telling them? He says, on that day, he says, you'll know. The reason that he's saying this is because when Jesus has told them that he's going to leave, they're all upset. And Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. And they say, well, how do we get there? Jesus says, you know the way. I am the way. And then they say, well, Jesus, could you just show us the Father? And he goes, you're looking at him. I am him and he is me. And the one that I am sending you will reveal this to you and also he is us. See, Jesus is revealing to us that what, what is happening is not that Jesus is sending some secondary tier spirit to help. Jesus is not saying, listen, I'm leaving, but no worries, I'm sending an angel. I'm sending my helper. He's sending the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is coming not only to be among them, but to be in them. To be in them. He says, I, I'm leaving, but I'm going to be with you. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I will be with you. I will be in you. And a couple chapters later, in the same conversation in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus tells them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's better this way, that if I leave and the Holy Spirit comes to live within your heart. He says, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. And what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying, listen, I've got to leave so the Holy Spirit can be here because we can't be in the same room at the same time? No. 
The Holy Spirit was already present. He's been present throughout all of Scripture. It isn't that God creates him in this moment. He was there in the very beginning at creation. The Spirit moved upon the waters. The Spirit caused all of creation to be put together in place. He's been working in the lives of people throughout all of Scripture. It isn't the Holy Spirit would suddenly now be present on the earth. He's been present on the earth. What he's saying is if I take this next step, if I take this next step to the cross, the Holy Spirit will not only be here, he'll be here. And not only be on the earth, he'll be in your heart. And Jesus goes to the cross, and he's nailed to the cross, and there while he's on the cross, he takes the suffering and shame for our sins, something powerful happens. Is he just just down the road from where Jesus was dying on top of that hill was the temple. And the temple was the place where the people of God would come to meet with God. It was the place where God's presence dwelt. And before they had the temple, when they were wandering in the wilderness, they had constructed this elaborate tent called the tabernacle. So that every time they took a journey to another area, they could construct this meeting place where God's presence would be and they could meet with God. And there was a place within the tabernacle and later within the temple where the presence of God dwelt and nobody could go there. And a priest would come and offer sacrifice after going through all of these rituals of cleansing and he could come and he could offer a sacrifice and leave but nobody had access. People could come to the temple where that room was, where the Holy of Holies was, where God's presence was, but they couldn't come in there because if they did, they would be killed because they weren't worthy to be in God's presence. Because the sin in their heart and life could not come into contact with the holiness of God. But in that moment on the cross, when Jesus was breathing his last breath, and offering the sacrifice for your sin and mine. The veil that separated that room from everything else was torn in two and opened up. And suddenly this place that no one had access to, this place where the presence of God dwelt, it was open to everyone. And the place that was the temple, the place where it was to be God's presence, God being present among his people, where before that it was this tabernacle, this tent that they would take from place to place, and they had to follow all of these regulations and guidelines so that they treated it correctly. Suddenly, it's no longer limited to one tabernacle or one temple, but rather it's in the heart and life of every believer. And in a few minutes when we sing our last song and we say our closing prayer and we go our separate ways into our lives, into our jobs, into our schools, we're taking the presence of God with us that previously was limited to the holy of holies. It now travels with you and me, present in our hearts and lives, dwelling in us. Jesus says, I must go. I must go to the cross so that the presence of God can dwell in you and you. And this presence will help you and enable you and teach you 
and transform you. But that presence in our lives, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is only possible because Jesus made it possible. It's possible because Jesus offered the sacrifice so that our sins could be cleansed. So that this could become a temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. God, I need your help. God has come to reside in your life. So everywhere you go and every challenge you face, he is there with you to teach you, to help you, to comfort you. This is the God, the Holy Spirit, that we will focus on in the weeks to come. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.